Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. And welcome to Beneath the Surface, where faith and reason meet, where truth, life, and love are one. Glad you could join us today. With me today, I'm your host. With me is Father Tony Blunt from Holy Redeemer Parish in Detroit, Michigan. Welcome, Father Tony. Thank you, Paul. Now, do they, do they usually call it Holy Redeemer Parish or Most Holy Redeemer Parish? Most people call it Holy Redeemer. Okay. But the real name is Most Holy Redeemer. All right. So it's just a lazy ass. Okay. So, anything new before we get started? Before we rock? It's your birthday. <laughs> and uh, that's a great new thing. That it is. And, and yeah, it's Jokeman Man. That's today, yes. your feast day. Yes. Good day, good day for birthday. Amen. Amen. And this is a show that is show number 11, actually, in a series that we're doing um, called The Creed Beneath the Surface. And we've done 10 already. And we're at the part of the Creed right now where we are going to directly talk about the Incarnation, because the line of the Creed, right now that we're going to focus on for the next, however this, however many, many minutes this takes us, is by the Holy Spirit, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. So, let's get right into it, why don't we? The spousal significance of this, let's get beneath the surface on how, you know, Christian tradition tells us that Mary and the Holy Spirit have a spousal relationship because the Holy Spirit comes down upon her and overshadows her, and the two becoming one is fruitful. Mm -hmm. Why don't you elaborate a little bit on that, that whole notion? Well, there's so much to talk about there. I mean, the, uh, the amazing significance, even before that, I mean, just that uh, our Lord has no human father. Okay. And uh, it's really, you know, a shocking thing, you know. And we have to go into the, the whole history of God's people, how God was preparing them uh, for, for this reality, preparing the whole world for this reality, that he should become one of us. So it's a striking thing to have the, the Virgin Mary, who's like the Virgin Israel, which is a term you use a lot in the Old Testament, oh, Virgin Israel. And really, the Blessed Mother, you could say she is the, um, the, the epitome of that, she really inserts, is the virgin Israel, but who's faithful, receiving her creator, her God, into her womb. So it's a, it's a stri striking thing, Paul, what God has done here, this interruption in history. Yeah. A shocking thing that has really you know, that has taken place. This is the great interruption. It is so shocking. I mean, Jews couldn't, couldn't uh, accept it because, you know, God is... Not to them anyway. God not be incarnate, they would argue. That he's too big for that. He's too grand for that. 
um, and, and others would say similar things. Why can't God become part of his creation? Like, uh, like a, um, the, the, one of the metaphors that I like to use is that an author, when he writes himself into his own story, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he transcends that story, but he's also in that story. Why can't God do something similar as he, as he did? I think that the term a story for what God has done in the ministry is very important. And certain great authors would definitely agree with you about that. Among them, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and Chesterton. It's it's a very important point that, you know how they always say history is his story. That's a very good point. It's it's accurate. History is, is, story really helps us to comprehend what God has done. And what Tolkien used to say to people was this. Tolkien was an expert on the whole reality of myth. And he explained to C.S. Lewis that Christianity is the true myth. It's a bit confusing term, but it's, in other words, it's getting at something important, though. I think think one of the reasons it's confusing today is because people see myth as fiction. Yeah. So it's not like you're saying true lie. (laughs) You're not saying that. Right. What you're saying is that um, the stories of old, these, uh, these, the stories of old, which uh, the human race has always told, the myths of the past are pointing to something true. And sometimes and it's actually easier to express something true in this myth-like way than in any other way of transcendent truth. But in Christianity, what happens is that this great truth, which, human, which we're all looking for, actually happens. There's a distinction. In the myths, you have, they're getting at that truth, and it's not historical. But in Christianity, you have the, historically, it actually takes place, what everyone longs for, which is oneness with God. You know, a lot of people would say, to play devil's advocate, that in other myths or in other uh, ancient religions, some of their gods came down and impregnated human women, um, and they would, the cynic would point to Christianity and say, oh, that's just another one that has that myth. Um, you would say that the others are kind of foretastes or foreshadowings of the uh, historical events that God was actually planting perhaps in their hearts so that the world would be more ready for the real thing, no? Yes, yes, you definitely could say that. God doesn't abandon anyone. Mm. So he was working with the Jewish people in a very astounding way through revelation. Mm. But through the Greeks and others like them, he was also working with them. They certainly weren't just left out there. And God was speaking to them in various, very subtle ways. And he's, you know, you kind of see these, this coming together uh, with the three Magi coming from the East. You know, it, when you have, with the Magi, or with our Lord's birth, you have two kinds of people. You have the Jewish shepherds, and then you have these three kings. Right. Who really are like philosophers of the East, and so you have three, two different kinds of realities. Two, two different Gospels, too. One's in Luke, the other's in Matthew. Right. So you have the shepherds who represent, you know, Israel and the poor the believers. Right. Then you have these pagans who are also finding, in other words, everything is leading up to Christ. Yes. Uh, even in paganism, was waiting for Christ. I think it's called Virtues, uh, Virgil's Fourth Eclogue, which is incredible, which speaks about the end of the Iron Age with the coming of the, of, the, of the God born of the Virgin that would happen in the future hmm. and that everything would change when this would take place. So God was working with the pagans, getting them ready for the coming of the Messiah, who can only be found through the Jews. 
Mm-hmm. Why could he be? I mean, if God did not abandon all these peoples of the world, including the Far East, including Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, every corner of the world God loves and never abandons, why would you say he did not incarnate and become one of those folks? That's called uh, the scandal of particularity. Yes. So, yeah, how do you explain that? Like someone said to me the other day, some young man, he said, Father, favor isn't fair. <laughs> so uh, I was like, a little thing he said to me, well, favor isn't fair. Remember what John F. Kennedy once said? Life isn't fair. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, God shows, but there's a famous question that somebody once asked. His name was Hillary Bellet. He mm-hmm. said, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Uh, I don't know why he chose well, them. You know? Nice and poetic. Uh, nice and poetic. I don't know why the Lord chose these people, because Moses said to them, the Lord didn't mm-hmm. choose you because you were the greatest, but you were actually the least. It, he simply yeah. loved your fathers, and he chose them. Yeah, well, one thing we know is that God chose the beginning of, of human civilization, right, to Abraham, which is, of course, the purpose of was going here, from the, the area of ancient, ancient Mesopotamia, and brought him down to Israel and, and created the people. It's not like God said, well, there's a people here. I'll choose them. He actually created the people. And you could, in a sense, say in the middle of the world, in the middle of what was going on there and the budding of creation. So it kind of makes sense that these people God would start with so that it would radiate and spread throughout the world. At least that's one explanation. The Lord does it all the time. And even now he does that through, through us. But yeah, he did choose them. But remember, they were chosen to be chosen. The Jews, but they were chosen with a mission. Yeah. So they weren't chosen for themselves alone. No question. And uh, they had a mission to the nations. Yeah. And this comes out very clearly in the prophets, especially Isaiah. They have a mission to the whole world. And that's fulfilled, you know, when our Lord comes. Well, the whole world left Eden and has been suffering ever since. God came, Jesus came as the new Adam to save the world. Now, he came as the new Abraham and Moses, et cetera, to save the Jews, but he also came as the new Adam to save all of mankind. Well, that's important to, to yeah. notice that, too, of course, yeah. because, you know, you see that in the Gospels, Matthew's Gospel, right, the Jewish Gospel, the most Jewish yes. of the Gospels, which goes back to Abraham in his, in his genealogy of Jesus, and Luke's, which goes back to Adam. So that yeah. kind of verifies what you're And saying. Jesus is the new Moses on the, the Sermon on the Mount of that, yeah. By the Holy Spirit, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. I love that word incarnate. In the old translation into English, it was, and he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. Basically meant the same thing, but incarnate is a little more, uh, not as specific, not as particular as birth. Birth is, is of course, when, when the baby literally physically separates from the mother. Incarnate is something else. Tell me why you think the word incarnate in the creed is important in our age where the pro-life ministry is so important. Well, born of the Virgin Mary, while being, of course, it's, it's true, but it's not sufficient. Right. And uh, incarnatus est is what it says anyway in Latin. So born of the Virgin Mary really is not the best translation of that. The strict translation would be was made incarnate or is incarnate of the Virgin Mary. So our Lord, yeah, th- so incarnate is more to the point, because that really gets to the point, incarnatus, carne, right, that God took flesh, right, and uh, 
from the very moment of the instant, the moment he began to be a miracle, the incarnation is from the moment he began to be there. Not right. Just when he was born. His moment of existence. Yes. Yeah. Um, incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. So God became human at that moment that we believe is at the moment of conception. And nine months later, he was born. So he was announced at that moment of conception. My question, as um, and I would ask you as a as a clergyman, representative of the, of the Catholic faith, obviously, why we celebrate Christmas in a more boisterous, joyful kind of way instead of the Annunciation. The Annunciation is when he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. Christmas is when he was born of the Virgin Mary. I don't get it. Well, I think it's because. Think about it with, um, you're right, the, the Annunciation needs to be really, uh, yeah. really considered more deeply. And, you know, in the ancient, if I'm not mistaken, in the Middle Ages, uh, March 25th was considered the beginning of the year. And it was, it was also an ancient tradition that it was the beginning of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, that the world began on March 25th. The world began in springtime. Yeah, and I think Tolkien actually has this in his, in his mm -hmm. books. The world begins on March 25th. Tertullian, the ancient church father, he said that Calvary was on March 25th. Yes, I heard of that one. Uh, yeah. So March 25th has a lot, lot of importance. Lot in, of importance. And in the, ancient, in the Middle Ages, it was the beginning of the civil year also. Mm -hmm. So it had more importance than, you're right about that. I mean, look, they're both astounding things. Mm -hmm. The thing about Christmas, it's so appealing because we all love babies. You just can't get around it. <laughs> We don't love conceptions exactly. We should. We we should love. Yeah, of course we should. Embryos. How can you not love a baby? And uh, <laughs> they just grab you, you know. And so the Lord knows He made us that way because yeah. He knew that the baby was coming. So so the Lord knows us as emotional beings, even though the reality of it is that He became incarnate at the at the conception. Correct. So the Annunciation is shocking. It's overwhelming. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely it's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Well, however, in a way, it's invisible uh, to, I mean, us. It, yeah, yeah. to us. It's happening in someone, right? Yeah. So, but the, but the, uh, the, uh, the birth of our Lord, the nativity, well, that's so obvious, you could say. It's so right mm. in front of you with the shepherds around and the stable and the poverty. And it's, the, all, it's all awesome. But unfortunately, we live in a time where one out of three preborn children are being brutally killed yeah. uh, intentionally. So I, I think that we as a church need to begin to, in my, my own opinion, to start celebrating the Annunciation in the reality that it actually is. So you have a point there, Paul, yeah. the Annunciation and the Visitation. And the Visitation, the two pro-life uh, mysteries of the Rosary, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, time for spec a little speculation. Not that I haven't already. All of Jesus' DNA is from Mary? Yes, uh, his DNA is from Mary. That's the only 100%. human component to his life. It blows your mind. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? But this, this is, this, look, I mean, this, this is miraculous. Like the Eucharist is miraculous, right? right? I mean, there's no uh, bread there after the consecrations. Only our Lord is utterly shocking. Same with Christ's conception in the womb of the Holy Virgin Mary. Right? Um, fully God, fully man. But the human component, you know, that male, uh, his, that comes only from his holy mother. And this makes you understand, of course, why Catholics love Mary so much. It's an absolute reflection of their love for Jesus. I mean, look at this woman. 
who gives him his humanity, the humanity that I bow down and worship, yeah. comes from this woman. Well, my goodness, what about her? And that, and that humanity, of course, is assumed by the divine person. So you can't say, well, I'm only worshiping the divine nature of Christ. You have to say that I'm worshiping all of the person of Christ, who is the second person of God, who is now um, taking on uh, a human nature, which came from Mary. Yes, it, this is an incredible mystery. Uh, Mary is the mother of a person. And she's not the mother of a nature. I mean, you know, your mother, I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, she's, you're the mother of Paul's human nature. It's so nice to meet you. No, I wouldn't say that. You're the mother of Paul. You're yes. mother of this person. Yeah. And the blessed mother is the mother of a person. So the only question is, I mean, every mother is a mother of a person. So the only question is, what person is she the mother of? She's the mother of this person, the second person of the blessed trinity. The, the amazing thing about the blessed mother, of course, is kind of uh, gets us a bit, is that she wasn't always the mother of this person. Right. This is, this is what's so uh, amazing about it, that she wasn't always the mother. She became the mother of this person who was before her at a certain moment. Just to clarify for people who don't know, uh, Jesus has two natures but is one person. And, and it would be actually theologically false, technically false, to say Jesus is a human person. It's important to say to, to mention that you could say that, that he's a human being, but he's not a human person. Yeah? Right. I often um, I often say this in homilies, get people confused on purpose. I, I ask them, you know, uh, things like that. Is Mary the mother of a human person? Yeah. So no, Christ to people's astonishment sometimes is Christ Jesus is not a human person. Now that sounds like too much to say that. And yet it has to be said, because this, this is precisely what the miracle is in Jesus. It's called the hypostatic mm -hmm. union. So we have a, a divine person, Jesus, Jesus mm -hmm. of Nazareth, who is truly God and truly man. Now here's the mystery. How can you be truly man and not be a human person? I know that. He is. Yeah. He is more human than we are. Remember that. Mm. He's more human than we yeah, are, but forever, he's so much more human than we are. Yet, he's fully human, and he's fully God, mm. but he's only one person. And I think the problem here is, you can have, at least theoretically, you can have more than one nature, as Jesus uh, exemplifies for us. But logically, it's impossible to be more than one person. And so he can't be a human person and a divine person, even though he has both natures. He's only one person, and that one person is that eternal divine person who now took on a human nature, but he remains the divine person. So remember, yeah. he's fully God, fully man. He, he fully God, fully man, right. a human soul, a human heart, human mind, human will, human body, and yet he still remains the same person, a divine person, the second person in God. Right. So Mary becomes the mother of that person. Could Mary have said no? Well, we, we have to say, yeah, that she could, in a certain, she was free. Was the Blessed Mother free? Another way of asking the question. When God was asked she, her, was, was, he, was he really asking her consent? <laughs> um, the, yes, she was really free. Um, however, what, what, you know, she was free, but she was prepared. By her immaculate conception, she, but she had all the grace of God. So she was perfectly prepared for that moment. You're right, there's a mystery there, right? That's such a mystery. It's such a mystery because... Like our first parents, she was mm. free. Yes. And she was, that's what, that's, that's what makes her so amazing to us. Actually, you could ask the same question. Could Eve have said yes continuously? 
She could have. We know that. And she didn't. And she didn't. So Mary could have said no, but she didn't. We have to say that. But the yeah. point, it, it really shows you what Mary, it's important to say that Mary is not a robot. Right. She's and a person. Well, well, you know what the theological problem next is? The next question would be, well, if she did say no, then what? Uh, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's, look, I mean, you could say the same thing about the book yeah. of Apostles. Yeah. There's a famous, some, some sort of, uh, a joke, not a joke, but people, uh, there's some sort of story where someone asked Jesus about his 12 apostles, and, and what if they fail? What's your other plan? Yeah. And he says, yeah. I don't have another plan. <laughs> right. so, it kind of reminds me of the question I ask a lot. If my father never did crash that wedding, you know, many decades ago, and never met my mother, would I never have existed? And yet you could say, on the other hand, in God's eternal mind, I always existed. Yes. So there's that, that tension in that, of that mystery of predestination and free will that's going on, not only in our lives, but of course in scripture. So. Of course, the thing about the Blessed Mother is, you're right though, she was free, yeah. but she was immaculate, she was immaculate, she has so much grace, she has so much grace from God, and all you can think of when you think of Mary is the word yes. You just can't think of anything else. Yeah, yeah. She's such a yes. You know? and, and, you know, this kind of brings us perhaps to a conclusion here, because it seems like that is exactly all that God wanted from us human beings, us, us creatures made in his image and likeness, is our yes. So we see that in Adam. Of course, Adam said no. We see that in all of those people that he made other covenants with. He wants to, like, like a bridegroom proposing to his bride, he wants humanity to say yes to him so that they can be one for all eternity. That's really what God wants, and you see that throughout the entire scriptures. And, and Mary did, did that for us. Right, right. And the Jewish, the Jewish people whom God was preparing, his own people, they couldn't, they said yes and no rather constantly, and mostly mm -hmm. no. When it came to the Blessed Mother, she's the perfection of everything that was, that was happening with them. She's the perfection of that, the bride. Yeah, and her, perfect. And her yes enabled the incarnation to happen. And then our subsequent yeses enable us and others to be saved, to, to attain what God wants us all to have, and that is eternal happiness within the heaven. Uh, well, St. Paul says, Jesus Christ was not yes and no. He was never anything but yes. So, yeah, I think it's important to, to, to think about that, about that word yes. And it does, does come down to yes and no. Yeah. And think, but, but look what God has done. And he's taken the yes upon himself. 100% as God and man. How yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and we see that play out in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, yes, Father, may your will be done formally and then materially, of course, and physically on the cross. And so his yes, after Mary's yes, that God may, may you know, the work yes. through, him, through her, mm -hmm. uh, incarnate the divine yes, the divine yes on the cross enabled our now subsequent yeses to God to fulfill the entire salvific mission. And you can see that uh, with our Blessed Mother and Jesus, you know, you see a repeat of the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, the woman said no first, right. then the man said no. So with Our Lady and Jesus, it is, it's similar. You know, we yes. have the woman saying yes, and later her son says yes Absolutely. to the cross. Absolutely. The double yes replaces the double no. It's interesting how when... Even a sense brought him down by saying, "Here, eat this forbidden fruit." Mary um, enables him to 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 begin, or or at least prompts him to begin his ministry at uh, the wedding at Cana. 
not just that. Yeah. Uh, yes, that you're right because what is you know the blessed mother? That's a mysterious passage. You know? yeah. so, <laughs> our Lord says to her, woman, you know, it's not my time. It's not my hour. My hour has not yet come. And in a way, you wonder. I mean, what is he saying to her? Is he saying? Do you understand what that means? If my hour comes, you know what that means, mother. That means suffering and death. Do you want that now? And she still says, do whatever he tells you. Wow. I mean, she's prepared for that, to accept that. And then you combine that with John 19, when she's standing at the foot of the cross. Look at our Lord, our Blessed Mother, assisting Christ, being at his side in his suffering and death. Just as Eve was with Adam in a completely different way, but in yeah. the worst of ways. Amazing how the first Eve said yes to the serpent and no to God, whereas the second Eve, the Blessed Mother, says no to the serpent and yes to God. Yeah, awesome. Last word. Well, as you said, uh, Paul, that what about us and our yes, hmm. you know, and so that's what we have to consider. We want our Lord to help us because this is the Christian life. If, you know, because we're all such a mixture of things. We're yeses and we're nos. Right. However, the, and, and thanks be to God for the sacrament of confession. For, of confession yeah. and for holy baptism. Yeah, and God for these things. So, um, and I thank God. You've been saying yes all these years, Paul. It's your <laughs> birthday. And uh, every birthday is like a happy yes to, a, to someone's life. Yes, so, uh, so we're thanking God for Paul and his birthday. Thank you, <laughs> Heavenly Father, and for his parents for saying yes. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Signing off, Paul Morano, my my wonderful guest, Mister Mister Wright, Father Tony Blunt. I've known him since he was uh, in his early twenties. Uh, Signing off. Ten years now. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Ten years. And by the way, I'm only 33 because like I, like I tell everybody that uh, Jesus never made it past the age of 33 on the earth. But you did. And, <laughs> and, and, we're, and, and we're all in Christ, so we're never older than 33. Okay, that's a nice. That's cool, people. You got that? I'm with you. All right, you got that too. Paul Marano signing off beneath the surface. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Have a great, uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.